confidence because Praise God. Brother Woodson, would you make your way to the platform, please, sir? And we're very happy to have Brother Woodson. Many of you know already, but let me just remind those who have forgotten and those who may not know Brother Woodson, this is Sister Amy Stoops' dad and her mother sitting next to her. And uh, Brother Woodson also is pastor of a very fine church in Vancouver, and he's also the district superintendent uh, for the United Pentecostal Church District of Washington. So we're very happy, and of course, I, I think it's important to all that I'm glad that he's my friend. And I want him to come and share whatever the Lord has laid on his heart, just make himself at home this morning. Let's give our unmixed, undiverted attention. I believe we have one who wants to be baptized after service today. So we're going to have a great time in the Lord. Brother Woodson, come take your liberty. Thank you, sir. Bless you. Praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord. We send you greetings from the great state on the west side. You're on the great state on the east side. We all border the unfortunates north of us. Amen. Actually, the beautiful part of the world is where you live and where we live. And uh, I really don't feel sorry for the rest of the world because they chose to be there. Amen. But we have chosen to be here, and we are so thankful that all of you are here today. We want you to know we love you very much, and your pastor has made it so clear. This is home for us on the east side. We have, we've got homes all over the place. Amen. My home church in San Diego, we were there in June. Uh, during Thanksgiving, our church in Idaho, we were there with our, my youngest and his family and their pastor, and, um, and now we're out here with you. The only thing I worry about is that at our church at home wonders if I'm ever coming home. So, amen. I hope they have revival there like they do when you're away, brother. That'd be great. Amen. I re my pastor, David Gray, um, when I was his assistant years ago, <clears throat> yes, there was a time when I was young, but uh, the, uh, he came home from a, a lengthy overseas trip. And during that time, I think we'd seen numbers of people baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. And his first comment was, wow, I need to stay away more often. Maybe the church will have revival. Amen. I don't fear that here. I was looking up at your screen before service of the numbers that God has added to his church this year and last year. And uh, I rejoice with you on the great growth. You see, this world's going to pass away. I think it's very important for us to remember, don't get too comfortable here. Amen. I'm not talking about physical death, that's only temporary for a believer anyway. But I'm talking about the fact that uh, this isn't our home. I remind our church all the time that we are citizens of heaven. That's where our citizenship is. Amen. We're here and we'll be loyal to all that is required according to the Scriptures. But I will tell you, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Amen. And when I have that as my focus, everything goes well. It's when I get distracted from that focus that I become stressed out and fearful and struggling and worried and, you know, all of the things that this unstable world brings our way. 
And so I, I've determined that everyone that is a believer of, at any length of time has come to that conclusion that they, are, they, they obeyed the gospel because they knew, they know that there will be a day when we stand before our Creator and that He has promised a place for us if we're faithful. Amen. But not all maintain that vision in their lives. Not all maintain that perspective. And we are tempted to be distracted. We are tempted to be turned away from this great path that God has called us into. I, uh, all I have to do is think about the first 20 years of my life without God and uh, just even a remembrance, remembrance of it. And, and um, even the slightest temptation to divert the way, it's gone in a moment because I will tell you, this is truly the life. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the longer you're part of him and it, the greater that is true. Hallelujah. And so let me just tell you, if you've been struggling with alternate perspectives, uh, there's one course that will work it all out for you, and that course is the path that Jesus has paved for you and I. I think we ought to give God thanks for his goodness again. Lord, we do love you. We do praise you. And we do thank you, Lord, that you love us like you do. Hallelujah. Lord, we feel your presence in your house right now. We feel it in our hearts. We feel our spirit witnessing with yours and yours with ours. Have your way now, Lord, as you talk to us. And guide us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 26 is where I'm taking my context this morning, as well as John chapter 10, just a verse in each. Acts 26 and verse 8, John 10 and verse 10. Praise God. And I'm just going to take a portion out of each of this setting to establish what I really believe the Lord would like me to talk to you about today. Acts 26 verse 8. This is Paul speaking to King Agrippa. And in the beginning of his comments, he says, Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you? And then John 10 and verse 10, a scripture we're probably all very familiar with and probably been affected by at times. The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus, here's the response to the thief. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Isn't God good? Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. We ask you to prosper it according to your will, and we thank you, Father. And I pray that the anointing of your word and your spirit will be upon and through me and minister to every open heart, and I pray for every heart to be open. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn to your neighbor and say, what next? What next? Amen. Our first verse we referred to was the 26th chapter of Acts, and this is the great story of Paul being brought up before King Agrippa. He is now on his way to Rome, uh, and Agrippa wants to hear his testimony. And the first thing that he does is he identifies 
that King Agrippa is very familiar with this new way, not just the way of the Jews, but also this, what was considered in that era, the new way, meaning this, this, this supernatural act that has just befuddled the Israelites. And so, um, he is, he's allowed to give his presentation uninterrupted, at least until uh, Festus gets a little bit frustrated because of the supernatural. But in essence, he is telling King Agrippa, look, I went through a lot of things since my conversion, but I want you to know that the miraculous is not limited, that God, who is the author of miraculous things, is not limited, and the miraculous is for right now. That God can change a wayward life, even a life that has been directed to destruction. And that was, the, that was really the direction that Paul was going. In his zeal to please God under Judaism, he was actually becoming a murderer of the very people that loved God, the people that served and pursued God. So by the time his appearance comes before Agrippa, he's had much experience and the world has begun to be changed. Why was he in captivity? It was because the world was changing. There was such a confidence in the changed life of Paul and such an influence that followed his commitment that the world was in an uproar. Every time righteousness takes the forefront, the world is in an uproar. And that is what took place in that day. We see a very, very graphic description of that in the book of Acts. And I thank God for the book of Acts. And I thank God the book of Acts doesn't end with an amen, that it's still going on today. Amen. But here is the real challenge. He spoke to Agrippa and said, you knew the message of the prophets, and you knew those they that proclaimed that Messiah would come. In verse number 27 of Acts chapter number, uh, Acts 26 here is what the writer said in that. He said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I think that's such a challenging question because honestly, we can, as, he, as believers, uh, begin to look at his word in too comfortable of a uh, perspective. Although the Lord is the comforter, his word can become normal to us. It can become just what life is uh, normally, you know, conversation and so on. The songs can become redundant. Part of the reason I love coming back, one of the many reasons I love coming back to Maine is your pastor sings the songs I sang as a young believer. And so I could close my eyes and just about every song we sang this morning, and I could identify, and it just brings me back to my youth when I had enough energy to be more zealous. Yeah. But I, I'm still zealous in my heart. I just My body doesn't want to do it as quick as it used to or get involved as quick as it used to. But I'm going to tell you something that's very important, and that is that something that never, change is, never changes is the voice of God through the ministry of the Word. I, uh, Isaiah said it so well. He said his Word would not return to him void. It will accomplish that which he pleases, it will prosper in the place or the way that it is sent. And so it's important for us to recognize that God's voice doesn't come and go in waves, but that God's voice is an established voice. His, his voice 
is not something to be overlooked. It's something that continually reaches, continually speaks. Amen. Corinthians says there's many voices in the world and none of them are without significance. But this voice is a voice that hasn't changed. His word, his voice is forever settled. It's consistent. And when it makes an appeal to our lives, no matter where we are at that moment, its purpose is to return us and to restore us back into that place of fellowship and protection and blessing that, we spo- that was spoken of earlier. God's intention is to awaken us. Do we believe the word of the prophet? Do we believe the word of God? And the challenge was... You do believe it, don't you? And I would say no matter where we are in our relationship with God today, God knows that we believe his word, but we don't necessarily believe it to the extent of its ability to work. Amen. Last night when we prayed here in the prayer meeting, uh, your pastor led us and, and spoke a little bit about the, I think he spoke of it this morning, about this healing aspect that God's Word is a, is a promises healing. He said to uh, in the Old Testament, with his stripes we are healed. And in the New Testament, Peter repeats it, says, by whose stripes you were healed. That healing is a done thing with God. Praise God. Why? Because when God speaks, his voice continues to reverberate. It continues to be true. It continues to be powerful. And it continues to be alive. Amen. Amen. You can have the boldness of an Apostle Paul in the midst of a prison scenario, knowing that you're going to stand before a godless judge named Nero in the future. But in the meantime, you can approach an Agrippa and remind Agrippa, Do you believe the prophets? Do you believe his word? You know what it is, but do you believe it? Is it really part of your life? Amen. Agree. And here was his response. He said, you almost, verse 28, you almost persuaded me. Oh, my. It is not my intention this morning to preach to you that the word of God is true. Because you're here because you believe it. Amen. Even if you're a skeptic, you still believe part of it. And let me just tell you, a little bit, God takes and prospers. I've watched, just as a quick aside, I've watched people that have had faith in just a small area. We have this commitment on giving and tithing that is expressed here at this great church, this covenant. And uh, I've known of of uh, businessmen who had nothing to do with the church pastor, but they had everything to do with the promise of the Proverbs, that, if, that uh, giving will be responded with blessing, and their business has prospered. They have never come to God, but just that little part of that word of God caused them to prosper. And I want to tell you why that's the case. It doesn't mean that it's a reason why we should just take advantage of the blessing side of our relationship with God. But what it's really talking about is that God is true. His word is true. It is forever settled. It will not disappear. And any aspect of his word that you grasp a hold of, that you believe God for, God will step in and do what he said he will do. It will not return to him void. It will accomplish that which he pleases, and it will prosper in the way that it's sent. Amen. 
God's Word is true. God's Word is the only true voice. Praise God. So Agrippa, he was challenged. Do you believe the prophets? He believed them, but he didn't respond. He didn't respond to the word they prophesied. And I think this is truly a microcosm, a small picture of his response. This response too often reflects the hesitancy of many today who will not allow God to work in them or through them. You say, "Uh uh-oh, Brother Woodson's about ready to drop the bomb on us here. No, not really. I'm here to awaken something. That's my directive from the Lord today. It's here to awaken you. Because historically, man has its high seasons and its mundane average seasons and its low times. It's the low times when we look up into the heavens from whence cometh our help, and he pulls us back up. But it's at certain points along that path we might want to level off instead of keep climbing into that holy presence where our mind and our heart and our spirit was without condemnation and guilt of the stains of the world or even the memories of the past and and, and get into that place where God is truly 100% in charge of me, in charge of my will, in charge of my spirit, so that if a question comes, it's no question. Amen. It's not something that I struggle with or challenge. I know God's Word is true. I know God is going to fulfill His Word. I have no doubt that God's Word is true. I have no doubt that God's will will be done. I have no question about God's divine purpose. Amen. But I'll tell you one thing. God's purpose is never fulfilled until our response went the way He wants it to be. I'm going to show you some, uh, quickly some things here. God's long-suffering doesn't just deal with us coming to a conclusion of awareness But it has to do with the fact that man is inconsistent normally. Mankind's weakness is very visible when man is left to himself. For instance, God said to Adam, The garden is yours, but the tree is not. And though through Adam's disregard of God's requirement, he lost the garden and he lost his innocence. To the generations up to Noah, Defining good and evil, he told those generations, was in your hands. And through man's total disregard for God, the world was destroyed except eight souls. Hmm. After the flood and up to Babel, oversight and vision was given to mankind. Government stepped in to define and develop a nation. And then man challenged God's power and God's authority, and the world became confused and scattered. You're hearing a pattern? From Abraham to Egypt, the man that answers my call and follows by faith, will I bless, God said, and I will prosper him. But through concern for self-preservation, man overlooked God's preservation plan and eventually blamed God for his dilemma. In the wilderness, they moaned, they groaned, they complained, and they hungered for bondage that they had in Egypt. From Exodus to Calvary, the man that wholly followed God's law would be blessed and would prosper. 
and would be protected. But it was through indifference and reliance upon cold ritual. What I mean by that, that there wasn't a spiritual emphasis. If anything, it was just something they did, but it didn't have depth to it. I'm describing to you that knowledge does not always equate to relationship. That the knowledge of God, as powerful as it must be and is, and His presence forever is, will never, I should say, be restricted on this earth, even during the time of judgment when the church is in heaven rejoicing with Him. Amen. The knowledge of God is restricted when man does not build a relationship with Him. Amen. So man chose under the law, the letter of the law, and rejected relationship with God and his law. Now, I want to show you in the New Testament, before we come to the last two examples of this particular portion, is that in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11, we see that in the midst of every one of these circumstances, there were men and women who were not drawn away, but maintained their relationship. And there's some unique names here, names that we, when we read their first part of their story, we wondered about them. I'll give you one name right now. Her name was Rahab, a harlot in Jericho. And because she knew that the judgment of God was on the land, the woman who lived probably the most corrupt portion of a life in that city was the one whose heart was drawn in fear toward God, enough to allow the spies to escape and for her family to be delivered. She knew that God would do what he said he would do. Amen. I want, to, I want you to know that, yes, there are times when we're going to, the world's going to be drawn away, but we don't belong to this world. I want to remind you that again. Our citizenship is in heaven wherein dwells righteousness. We are not citizens of this earth. Praise God. There's some things that we need to make priority in our lives every single day. Lord, I'm yours. Lock, stock, and barrel. I've told my, our church over and over again. I said, I need to remind you of something. I'm preaching to a church of dead people. That's right. The Apostle Paul said, you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. What, what right do I have to be encumbered, drawn away by, enticed, tempted, yielding to a world such as one that we're in. What lies in those options what, that are beneficial to me? Is a moment of pleasure in sin, is it really worth it? And does it keep me in identity with God? No. Heaven makes no room for that. Our God is a God of absolutes. Amen. His word isn't an opinion. It's his voice. When you read in Revelation, the books that are open at the judgment, the books and a book, that a book is the book of life. Those books that judges man is the word of God that you and I have available. And just so that we see it in its right perspective, the word of God is God's voice on paper. Somebody says, I need to hear a word from God. Open your Bible. I need direction from God. Open it up. It's right there. His voice is very clear. And if you're still not clear, that's why God's given you a man of God to help you with that. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so there are innumerable individuals referred to and a few that are identified in Hebrews 11 that say they were the exception to these five eras that we spoke of. But now the last two, there's a change. As Jeremiah prophesied, God said, I'm going to change your heart from stone and make it a heart of flesh. And as Jesus told his disciples in John, he said that I'm with you, but I shall be in you. That he is now looking for a specific place of relationship that's more than just an identity with a group that agrees on something, on the word. But rather, he is looking for a people that yield themselves. That's a powerful word, yield. That means it's a surrender of my rights. <laughs> what little rights I have. I mean, how many dead people do you know that have rights? Dead people don't have rights. We may have personalities. If you walk through a graveyard today of some of your descendants, pardon me, of your previous generations, those of your past, and if you have some kind of a history, you might say, well, this one was a character. Oh, this was a godly one. This one I'm not so sure about. Everybody has a personality that he lived with and lived with and died with. But there's a relationship in the kingdom of God that God says he takes us out of kindreds and tongues and peoples and nations. There is such a variety of us that are part of what's God called God's kingdom. And God says, if our eyes are upon him when he returns, unto them that look for him shall he, shall be. They're going to be with him. Amen. Nothing's going to pull them away from that relationship because their focus is him. That's why in the New Testament, the new birth had to bring life to each of us because God said it wasn't enough for us to know. There had to be something that challenged us to pursue. And God is challenging you and he's challenging me to pursue him every single day. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul even said, I have to remind myself, I die daily. I've got to remember I'm a dead man walking in this human flesh, but I've got an eternal relationship with God, amen, that I'm going to keep absolutely in tune with his voice, with his will, with his purpose, with his design, with his desire for me. Amen. 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 And then during the millennium, during the millennium, there's actually going to be people that live that just obey. And there's going to be people that die because they didn't obey. You see, what we're seeing in all of this picture here is that what next is really up to me. What next in my relationship? What next in my life and direction that God has for me? I feel the presence of God here right now. I feel the Lord reaching to somebody right now. I feel it strong. Somebody is making a decision or has made some bad decisions and you've justified it because you look around and you've compared yourself with human beings that are fraught with failures. But I want to tell you, my friend, your knowledge enough of God, the knowledge that God's presence is here is this knowledge is more than, than, than any barrier this earth's going to throw in your path. 
this knowledge is going to either help you come out of that or bring you into a place where you can't hear him. I pray that never happens. I fear for some that have allowed themselves to reject God. I feel like the Lord is saying to you, listen to me. Listen to my word. I'm appealing to you right now. What is your next going to be for your life? Are you going to decide, well, that sounds pretty fervent, preacher, but I really don't know. Oh, listen, my friend, you really don't know. You really don't know what God's plan is for you today or for tomorrow. You don't. I don't. All I know is I'm going to walk with him, Jesus, and I'm never going to leave him alone, and I don't want him to leave me alone because without him I could never make heaven my home. Day in and day out. Not just my Acts 2.38 experience 40-plus years ago. Oh, my. In spite of knowing the ways man would take, God has given every man a chance to repent. Thank God. And man's resistance to God's mercy proves that left to ourselves, we cannot successfully please God. Please, let me remind you, we all come to God with baggage. Everyone, even if you grew up in church, we all come to God with baggage because we're human. But the Lord God chooses to remove that as far as the east is from the west. And we've... Part of our faith relationship must be that we know that his mercy looks beyond my baggage, my issues. Hallelujah. Listen, we're in an hour, and if, I think we would have to be purposely and willfully blind to see otherwise. But we're in an hour that returning to God is the urgent appeal from heaven. You say, well, this is just going on in America. My friend... You probably have never gone out of the borders of North America, but I have. And I can tell you the idolatry and the bondage and, and, and the perspective of control and so on and the hunger to have a one-world type of perspective. It is everywhere else. America is the last bastion of freedom. And look what's going on in our world right now. Do we need something that we see in our parallel relationships to awaken us to realize today is the day of salvation? Now is the accepted time. Have we played along long enough where we are overlooking what God is saying? He's saying, come on, time is running out. And it is. But we're still here long enough for us to correct our path and let him direct our path. More than ever, we need the Lord's hand to be in complete control of our lives. So the question that was raised to King Agrippa is the question to the churched and to the non-churched. Do you believe the prophets? Do you believe God's spoken word? In a time of peril and confusion such as not as seen in the world's history, the Lord desires to display his power to our world in and through his church. But to do so, 
We must believe God's Word and obey it. And in an era of rebellion, obedience is a hard word for them to swallow. Because obedience means they have to give up their rights. Though they really don't have rights. Truly, if you would think about it, even for a few moments, you'd realize that there's nothing new under the sun. That we do, we are influenced by our horizontal life and the things that are here. I love going, coming out here because... The accent of Maine is far different from the no accent of Washington. Because we are, we are a Duke's mixture out there. And you guys have all of this, you know, generational historical depth here in your area. Hey, man, for the most part. And I, I, I can see that difference. And I enjoy it. I do. I, I relish it. I love going everywhere that I can understand people, even if it takes me a little while. I mean, I don't know what a doyad is. Anyway, the Lord desires to display his power to our world through his church, in his church. But he looks for us to obey it. Amen. So what happens next in your life? And I'm coming to a close is up to you. But there's a God that's waiting, just waiting to jump on the chance that you're going to say, Lord, this is the day I change how I look at things right now. Not tonight, not later on, right now. Just as the world has pursued its own failing course throughout history, you may have found yourself falling short of God's eternal purpose for your life. But Jesus came not just to fulfill his word, but ultimately to confirm his word in your life and in mine. There's no such thing as a believer being born with a silver spoon, you know, so to speak. We all come to him in need. And when we do, he meets us, and he becomes more than we'll ever need. Jesus promised life in his church would be greater than life without him or his church. And life in him to his church is the best life there can be. I have a good friend, and some of you know the name Travis Miller, Brother Miller, was at headquarters for a number of years, and then he was delivered, came to Washington. Pastors, great church in Everett. And not long after he, was, he and his wife moved out, he, uh, he was talking about his city just north of Seattle, and Seattle is an interesting place. And down in the area that probably many of you have heard of, Pike Street Market, there is such a variety of people. You just go down there on a sunny day or even on a cloudy day and every beast of the field and fowl of the air shows up down there. And he said, you know, I, my wife and I going down looking Pentecostal, he said, I was a little bit intimidated. Then he said, it hit me. It hit me. He said, I'm no different than they are. Yeah, they're weird, but they think I'm weird, so we're all in the same boat.
I believe it's time for the church to quit trying to be something else. Let's be who he wants us to be. And let's not allow everything else to intimidate or draw us. Let me tell you, my friend, sin and its wickedness and its results is no option for a believer. Praise God. Your pastor is going to have to heal all of you tonight, but I'm going to take care of you right now. Amen. I'm here to tell you, my friends, that God has a bigger plan for your life. Live a zero-option life. For me to live is Christ. End of story. It needs to be the absolute because the result is the blessing of God. Amen. Amen. Listen to what a scripture we like to quote. Now unto him who is able, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Unto him be glory in the church. Now go back to 20, please, brother. I want you to see what that means when he says according to. What that really means is what is allowed to work in us. Unbelief stops God. And unbelief, however we manifest it, stops God's hand. I would like to step in, he says, but you can't, I, I can't because, because you're resisting me. Let, me. let me point something out. The devil's real, and he's a liar, and he's going to hell, and I'm glad. But I'm here to tell you something. The devil isn't always the reason why your prayers aren't answered. The devil isn't always the reason why your faith is struggling. The devil isn't always the reason why you're having a hard time with relationships. I want you to hear me loud and clear and hear the word loud and clear that unbelief is the biggest barrier to us receiving that which God has promised us. Remember, he could do no great work in his own town except to heal a few because of their unbelief. But faith empowers God to work in us. Wow. According to the power that is allowed, allowed to work in us, he says he's able to do without limits, exceeding abundantly. I think God is speaking to some of you and saying, you know, I, I, I think I've made a mess of my life. Well, join the crowd. That's right. Don't ask my wife. Just join the crowd. But I'm going to tell you, Beyond that, I have discovered, not just in mine, but in everybody that the Lord has allowed me to come in contact with that's a believer, I've discovered that God takes messes and turns them into masterpieces. We are His masterpiece. God puts us in His hands like clay and molds us into a vessel of honor. That's what He can do for you today. As you stand with me, I would like to ask you to do something. I would like to ask you to be honest with yourself. Close your eyes and consider yourself looking in a mirror, but instead of just seeing your natural reflection, I'd like you to look at your reflection as God sees it in His Word. His voice is appealing right now to some folks today. And you know, what happens oftentimes when these messages go forth, I've discovered, is that good-hearted believers feel like, oh, God, I'm so unworthy. No, no. 
I'm not appealing to that. I'm appealing to those of you that say, well, I've always got till tomorrow. I'll call for you a more convenient time. Almost thou persuadest me. Mm -mm. We can't go that way. Uh, there's a witness in the Holy Ghost this morning that God is saying, now is the accepted time. And today is the day. And so if you, knowing what your life has been like, knowing the battles you've had, that God is reaching out to you, as you close your eyes with me, and as you ask God to search you and know you and try you and lead you, and you're feeling the tug of his spirit as he's saying, come on, this is the time to work it out. I've got all kinds of promises I want to fulfill in your life, but I've got to have you reach out to me. That's what the Lord is saying to every vessel here right now. And especially those of you that have wandered away or those of you that God has drawn and you're hungry, but you haven't yet fully responded. I want to tell you again, now's the accepted time. And today is the day of salvation. Amen. Would you lift Hallelujah. your hands and reach out to God with Hallelujah. me right now? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. On this last Sunday of 2020, I'd like to ask you to close your eyes with me. And is there anybody here today that may be zigged when you should have zagged? Maybe you turned the wrong way, but today you want to turn your heart toward home. And today you want to come to a Savior who is compassionate and loving and not reaching to you with anger, but with his arms open wide, he reaches to you today and says, Son, I want to forgive you. Daughter, I want to bless you. Every eye closed, I wonder, is there anybody that would dare to walk down to the front of the church today and say, God, I'd like to walk in your favor in 2021. I'd like to walk in your favor in 2021. So, Lord, I'm coming on the last Sunday of 2020. And, Lord, I want to give my heart and my life to you, and I want to ask for your blessings on my life. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the last Sunday of 2020. And I don't know, it may be the last Sunday period before the Lord comes. But no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad or how good, maybe there's somebody today that would like to walk to the front and stand down here at the front and say, Lord, I need your blessings on my life. This year, Lord, I want your blessings upon my family. This year, I want your blessings, oh Lord. I need your blessings. And I come to you, Lord, because you're merciful and you won't turn me away. Anybody here today that wants to stride forward and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm coming to this altar today, Lord, and I'm saying, God, here I am. Here I am. It takes courage to do that, but I think it's a good thing to do. I do it regularly myself. 
So I don't ask you to do anything that I don't do myself. But here I am, Lord. I want your blessings upon my life this year. I want your touch. If you need a healing. I have this confidence because